Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. So in an ideal world, our kids would eat everything we put on their plates, right? And we'd cook or use everything we have in our refrigerators. But we know that's not always the case. Our kids are picky and we're super busy. And so it's not always realistic. Food waste is a big problem in the U.S., but it's not necessarily because we're throwing out a bunch of vegetables or an entire package of food that's gone bad. It's a slow leak. So it's a slice of cucumber here. It's half an apple there. It's, you know, a quarter of a loaf of bread tomorrow. And because we do that so slowly but consistently over the year, it adds up. That's Allison Mountford, a chef and the founder of Ends and Stems, a meal planning membership that's designed to help families reduce food waste. Allison talks about why we waste so much food what those dates on packages really mean, and how we can reduce food waste in our kitchens. She walks us through how to do a food audit, which is way more fun than it sounds, and you can actually do it with your kids, plus how to meal plan and use leftovers and food scraps and what to do with all that extra food when you have parties. You're going to walk away today with a ton of easy ways to waste less food, and I know you're going to love this interview with Allison Mountford. Well, Allison, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we were just talking offline about how we maybe followed each other, known each other for years, but can't quite pin down when we we initially, you know, learned about each other. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. So let's talk about your story. You know, how did what's your career history and how did you come to found ends and stems? Well, I started as a chef. So I, um, I, I followed that classic advice of do what you love if you want to start a business. I liked the idea of putting a business together and cooking was what I did, you know, when I was a teenager and a young adult to, it was a creative outlet, right? It was my art form. I liked to play with food and it was practical too, because then you got to eat it afterwards. So my first introduction to food was really just that I wanted to start a business and work with food. But over the years, as my business did fairly well, I was personal chefing. I had a catering company. I had a cafe in San Francisco for a long time. Um, and we did a like a high-end deli and a meal delivery service. My introduction to thinking about food waste, which is what my current business Ends and Stems does, was really just practicality. It was how to make ends meet and not waste your money, how to survive as a mom and pop business. You know, I didn't do any fundraising. So every dollar we sold was a dollar that we had to spend and there was there was no safety net. So not wasting food was really just practical to stay in business. But over the years, as you know, I grew, I had a daughter and the planet started kind of, you know, you started hearing more about it. I realized that um food and food waste and our food systems are really at such an interesting intersection when we talk about the future of our planet. So I started going down that rabbit hole and eventually I sold my food production, the catering part of things. And I started Ends and Stems just as an Instagram feed online because I knew I could help people waste less food and learn about food sustainability. 
And at first it wasn't even a business. It was just what I wanted to talk about online. So I was kind of putting it out there. And then eventually I thought, oh, maybe there's another business in here. So then I, I started making products that people could buy and, you know, giving presentations and things that would actually become, you know, some income. So it actually became a little business. That's amazing. So, you know, in season six, we talked with mom entrepreneurs who are solving for some of the biggest problems around feeding kids. And I would say that a common theme among all of them was I really didn't set out to start a business, but it it sort of just happened organically. So I love that. So talking about food waste, you know, in the U.S., 40 percent of food or 108 billion pounds of food is wasted. Why is that? Isn't that the question? I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's staggering. And that that 40 percent number kind of goes up and down. It actually went down a little bit during the pandemic, which I think is really interesting. And there are a lot of if you Google it, you can read a lot of stories about why that might be. Um, but the interesting thing about food waste is that it's not all at once. Right. You would never open your refrigerator and just throw everything away. If you were to do that, you would clearly be able to see a massive amount of food wasted. Instead, it's a slow leak. So it's a slice of cucumber here. It's half an apple there. It's, you know, a quarter of a loaf of bread tomorrow. And because we do that so slowly but consistently over the year, it adds up. But that is what also makes it harder to solve for. Because if you're not really paying a lot of attention to it and, you know, who has time to be paying attention to stuff like that, it's hard to identify where it's being wasted. But a few kind of common themes happen. So I guess I should specifically back up and say I consider myself a consumer food waste spokesperson or expert or household food waste. So there is obviously also, you know, food is being wasted on the farm. It's being wasted in transport. It's being wasted by grocery stores, by restaurants, you know, and other food institutions. But where I find my specific niche, because I was a personal chef and I've cooked in so many thousands of homes, is household food waste. Yeah, I think it's so important there. You know, I've always kind of marveled at the fact that restaurants in particular just throw out so much food and it is really truly sad. But um, in the kitchen, I think it's so relevant now because the food prices are so high and people are really trying to make every dollar count. And I think that's one of the reasons that during the pandemic, it might have dipped down a little bit. The combination of, you know, people, so many people maybe being on unemployment or they're having job instability. And then also they had more time at home to kind of focus on it. And that was a a great combination in terms of reducing food waste. Um, One interesting note about restaurants is that when you talk about restaurants wasting food, um, their numbers include you and me going into a restaurant and then not eating everything that's served to us. So again, back to like this consumer food waste, you and I, we're partially responsible for the high number that restaurants have. Most chefs worth their salt anyway, pun intended, um, they're not the ones actually wasting food. Most restaurants, especially if it was at any, anything like my restaurant where, you know, you don't, you're not, you don't have investors and you have to turn a profit, they're finding ways to use everything up. Um, but the, you know, the free basket of chips and the ginormous portion of French fries and, you know, salads that are too big or the growing plate sizes 
all of these things contribute to food waste in restaurants. But I always think it's so interesting that you and I still have a little bit of control over that as people going in, patronizing that restaurant and then choosing from their menu. I think if we had to really simply sum it up, why food is wasted, we have an expectation that food is abundant and that food is, um, you know, should be available to us and, and that we can kind of have whatever we want whenever we want it. We have an expectation that food should be cheap and that when we go into a grocery store, there should be a mound of bell peppers. And, you know, we're kind of conditioned to choose only the best ones and the most perfect ones. And if there's only four left on a mostly empty display, instead of thinking, wow, these were really popular. Good thing there's five left for me. We look at it and think, ew, gross. There's only five. You know, why Mm -hmm. are these... Why are these remaining? I'm not going to buy this last pick. And it's it's just kind of our culture and how we're conditioned. If, you know, and I when I say or are, I certainly mean, you know, folks who are not food insecure, who typically have enough to eat and don't have to stress too much about going to the grocery store. Certainly there are that's a much bigger conversation and there are many slices of the population and and how they look at food. But but a lot of Americans look at food that way. Yeah, that's a great point. I have a video that I put up on TikTok that got it's like 2 million views. It's crazy. It's my best performing video ever. And it's about half a head of cabbage that has discoloration and mold on one side because I sliced it in half and put it back in my fridge. And I just said, would you eat this? And I slice off the discolored part and then show how I ate the rest of the cabbage. And one of the really, really common comments on there, and there are thousands of comments, But one of them is cabbage is so cheap. Why don't you just throw it away and go buy a new one? Mm. And it's just only looking at a slice of the total cost of cabbage. That's the expense of cabbage when you go into the grocery store. But the cost of cabbage, the true cost of cabbage is land that was used to farm it and water that was used to grow it. Refrigeration, which is terrible. It's one of the worst things we do for our planet. Refrigeration that was used once it came off the farm while it was being trucked to the grocery store, while it was being stored in the grocery store, and while it was being stored in your house. It's manual labor. It's it's humans who have to go into the fields and plant and tend and pick that cabbage. And it's the trucking and the oil and the gas. So the true cost of that cabbage, especially from an environmental point of view, is much, much bigger than the $1.49 it would cost you to replace it. And we just aren't conditioned to be looking at the larger picture. Yeah. And I think one of the other issues that maybe doesn't get talked about a lot, but I know I've experienced it in my own life when my kids were babies was that I felt like I was throwing away so much food as they were starting solids. Yeah. Um, So now let's flip the tables, right? So (laughs) I, as after I just preached all of this about um, not wasting food, I am also extremely regular mom of two kids um, you know, dual working households and their your half cabbage is also not going to break the world, right? There is, you know, and, and again, there are tons of headlines and articles and, and people calling out corporations for the amount that they pollute and that they waste. And we have systemic issues that if we could change those would really make a dent on you know, our emissions and the how much water we use and the future of our planet much, 
more expediently than if you and I just don't waste anything at home anymore. So I do also recognize that families are just pressed. I mean, we're busy. We're pulled in a million directions. We've been in a pandemic for three years and it's a lot. So if you're wasting food because you're doing your best to feed your family, it's okay. Like you're not going to save or break the world with what you throw away at home. But I just think it feels better to be part of the solution rather than to sort of be trapped at your house with no way to demand that our systems change overnight. So it's sort of this, you know, interesting suspension that we're in where we can do a little bit, we can do our best, we can learn and care about these issues, but we can also give ourselves some grace if we make a mistake. And, you know, at the end of this cabbage video, I, I say, if you're not comfortable eating this cabbage because it looks like it has mold on it, then please, like, don't risk getting sick or making yourself uncomfortable. Throw it away. But next time, make a plan so that your next cabbage gets eaten before you have to wonder if you're going to get sick. So it's just about being better next time and not about, you know, berating yourself for throwing food away because your baby's learning to eat and they threw it on the ground. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think there's also a lot of confusion about those dates that they put on packages. So can you kind of talk through what what they all mean and what we really need to know about it? Yes. This is one of my favorite entry points. If you care a little bit about food waste, you want to care more about food waste, but you're also, you know, maxed out in your daily time allotment and you're not sure how you're going to participate. This is such a great entry point. So the vast majority of those dates are for batching and for marketing and for the food producers to know when that was made. They are more useful for things like recalls if a product has an an outbreak or something attached to it. But none of them are related to food safety and whether or not you can still eat that item. The sole exception to that is infant formula. That is the only one that has been stamped on there because you should not feed it to your baby after that date. All of the other ones have to do with, you know, best buy. So maybe they've determined that for whatever reason, their crackers aren't quite as crisp or buttery or whatever it is, but none of them actually have to do with food safety. So whether we like it or not, and I, people like to, um, you know, push back on this, but whether we like it or not, we are all constantly responsible for using our senses to determine whether or not something is safe to eat. Using your eyes, your nose, you're smelling it, you're looking for bubbles, you're looking for fuzziness, discoloration, um, even whether that date is on there or not, because things can go bad before that date, depending on how they're stored, and things can last way longer than that date is stamped on there. So even if you're not aware of it, you're still using your senses So I actually think it's really empowering and a great place to start to lean into trusting your senses before relying on those dates. Great. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about your strategy for reducing food waste at home. Summer is in full swing and the longer days make it the best time of year to bring your kids in the kitchen and have some fun together. Cooking with your kids is one of the best things you can do to encourage them to try new foods and eat their veggies. But most of us aren't chefs, and that's why I love the Kids Cook Real Food e-course. 
This course was created by a mom of four and former teacher, and it's for kids ages two to teen. You'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping list, and kid-friendly recipes. The course also has a ton of substitutions if your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions. My daughters and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. All you have to do to sign up is go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. Between camp, road trips, and long summer days playing outside, my kids will be all about their snacks. And while snacks like goldfish crackers are quick and easy, they're overly processed and they just don't fill up my kids. Finding snacks with real food ingredients that are also affordable is really important to me, and that's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids are all about the Lara bars and the Go Raw cinnamon snacking seeds. Thrive Market also has essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products like Truce, one of my favorite cleaners. They also have clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. All right, Allison. So talk to me about what are the ways that families can reduce food waste at home? And, you know, I had read that you're a proponent of conducting an audit of your kitchen. What does that that mean? (laughs) So this is a fun way to start. Um, I do. So in, in addition to talking about food waste, I've started teaching families how to feed their families. So I have a digital course now where people can go through because what I found is that people would be interested in food waste, but they weren't sure how to prioritize it because they were really stressed about just the daily monotony of feeding their families. So one of my favorite ways to combine those two you know, desires. You got to feed your family and you want to do it with a little more joy and ease and you want to reduce food waste is to do a food waste audit. So I would love to change the term audit, but that is the scientific term. And that is if you Google it, like that's the term you need to know because audit sounds so foreboding and not at all fun, right? (laughs) But I promise way more fun than the IRS. Um, A food waste audit is, you know, back to my point a few questions ago, there's a slow leak of food being wasted. So if you don't know what's being wasted and you're not tracking it on a daily basis, it's really hard to spot trends or where the most money is being wasted or, you know, identify solutions to change your household habits. So a real scientific food waste audit, you know, has all these parameters so that you get actual scientific data at the end of it. But when you're doing it at home, A super fun way to do this with your kids is just 
take snapshots on your phone of everything you throw away. So whether it's leftovers, a half a bag of chips, something that went moldy, something that nobody liked, your squishy strawberries, whatever it is, just set a period of time. Ideally, you do five days, but if you can only do two or three, that's fine too. Um, You could even do it over the course of a couple of weeks if you wanted to come back to it. And then at the end, you can put them all on like a little Canva document or just scroll through your phone together. This is where it's really fun with kids to have them like spot the similarities or the differences or go back through it and say, hey, why do we throw these strawberries out? What went wrong with these peaches? Or did we buy too many grapes and we didn't get to eat them all in time? And what you're looking for are trends. You know, in my house, I always use the example that I always throw away lettuce because we think we're going to eat salads. And then it turns out every night I'm actually kind of bored by salad and Mm -hmm. I don't want to eat it. So it goes to waste. So you can then use those trends and those places that you've wasted food or even like learning about those specific ingredients. And then you can change your plans going forward. So my my sort of main platform on food waste is not to worry about what's already in your house or what you've already wasted, but change your plans going forward so that you can sort of be better and waste less next time. I love that. Yeah. And a lot of food waste also happens at dinner time, right? So how do we go about meal planning and make it really easy for people? Because I, I think that when people hear meal planning, they think it's time consuming, it's complicated. But it's true. People, people's eyes kind of glaze over when I talk about meal planning. Um, so I, again, this is what my whole course is about too. So I could talk about this as long as you will let me. But basically, in short, what I'm trying to do is get people to think about it in a different way. So every moment that you don't know what's for dinner tonight, you know that that is low key, like whirring around in your brain what you're going to have for dinner tonight. It is exhausting. And if you could just make the decision, like if you and I, Julie, right now decide what's for dinner tonight, I'm having pizza with my homegrown tomatoes. If you decide what you're having right now, you get to spend the rest of today not thinking about what's for dinner. That's kind of great, right? Yeah. So just practice one or two days at a time. It does not have to be, you don't need to get your cookbooks out. You don't need to go crazy with this. What I want people to do at the beginning to start, to like start building this habit is write it down. So even if you just, you know, listeners, if you just right now decided what you're having for dinner tonight, go write it down somewhere. And this helps you take it out of your brain. You're going to feel free and accomplished. And then next time you're feeling up for it, write down two days in a row, just write down today and tomorrow. What are you having? It doesn't need to be super involved. It doesn't need to be tied to a recipe. But as you practice that feeling of now, oh, okay, now I have 36 hours without having to think about what's for dinner, then you can kind of build on that. And I swear you will, like me, get addicted to writing meal plans. It makes your grocery shopping trips faster. Um, And it's, it's really a cornerstone of reducing food waste because then you go to the grocery store knowing what you're going to cook what you're going to eat. You can actually check your grocery list against your inventory at your house. And the the main sort of food waste action here is purchasing less. So if we go back to your stat that 40% of food is wasted, 
you know, 40% of what you buy at the grocery store is wasted. We're just buying too much and we're not getting to it in time. And what about leftovers? Because I think most families probably, they have intentions of eating them, but maybe there's family members who, who won't eat them and so they get tossed. Yeah. So if you're a leftovers family, that's awesome. You know, you just have a leftovers night, you microwave everything. I used to put out like a big sheet pan. I'd throw the whole thing in the oven and everyone just makes their own plate. So we love that in my house. That said, there are leftovers I don't like. I don't really love leftover fish or salmon or leftover salads. I don't really like. So what I try to do with those is just make smaller portions and get used to scaling down. So this is where your culinary chops could come in. Um, if you're not super comfortable cooking, um, get on my email list, reach out to me. I'll make some videos for you about how to learn to scale your recipes down a little bit. So don't just cook you know, a recipe for four or six if it's only two of you or whatever it is. So try to cook less of that particular item and, and start there. The third option is also one of my favorites for really for both categories of people. When you cook a meal, store things in their separate components. So back to the like salad analogy, let's say you're making a lettuce salad. Don't toss the whole thing with dressing. Leave the dressing on the side. So now when you have your leftovers tomorrow, you have lettuce that hasn't been sitting in dressing and you have dressing on the side that you could use in a different way. And same thing, let's say you make chicken, green, broccoli, and rice. Even if you only have a little bit left over, store those in three different containers because now you can reinvent that chicken into enchiladas. You can reinvent that broccoli into a soup and you can reinvent that rice into fried rice. So they're rather than leftovers, I like to think about them as food prep. So now you are ready to execute a different recipe and it doesn't feel so sad like having old soggy leftovers. That's great. So food scraps, right? That's a huge source of food waste. But it again, it seems so complicated to figure out how to use them. What are some of your favorite tips? So scraps that you can use to make stocks are amazing, especially if you're a soup family. Um, you know, making your own stock is such a game changer. It tastes amazing. Um, and it's, we used to joke at the restaurant, we obviously wouldn't say this to customers, but we would joke that it's garbage water because you're saving all these scraps and you're turning it into something amazing. Um, other scraps like broccoli stems, asparagus stems, tomato tops, you can actually blend those up into the soup. So you're also getting, you know, the fiber and all the other vitamins that are in the actual vegetable. But if you kind of long cook them and then puree them, add some cream or cheddar cheese, however, whatever direction you want to go, you can actually use those to build complexity and flavor in a recipe. So stock is definitely the most touted and also I think the most basic. Um, I love risotto. So if you're also a stock or you're not sure what to do with stock and you want to expand past soup, cooking rice, whether it's officially into risotto or even if you just put stock and rice in your rice cooker instead of water, it really, really adds a lot of flavor to things. You can make some really lovely sauces like a chicken piccata and you need to add stock to it. So I think that's like one of my favorite, you know, you're a home cook, but you want to be more like a, a restaurant cook. If you want to level up your game, definitely do that. For scraps that aren't edible, 
Um, if you don't have composting at your house, you could see if a local farmer's market will pick up your compost or if you can bring it in. There are a lot of places you can drop it off. And this summer, I just started a vermicomposting heap in my backyard, which is where you actually have like thousands and thousands of little worms out there eating your compost. <laughs> um, another great project for wow. kids if you aren't too squeamish about snake-like animals. <laughs> a lot of my fruit tends to go bad quickly because for whatever reason, I don't know, I guess it's, you know, my kids are eating the grapes instead of the strawberries. And so I'll just throw it into the freezer and use it for smoothies later. What are some other ways we can use our freezer? I love that. Yeah, that I mean, that's like the easiest way to do it. And you can do that with a lot of vegetables and stuff, too. I just tossed a bunch of corn on the cob into my freezer and I'll use it later. Um, So my number one tip about the freezer, if it's like a freezer attached to your refrigerator, it is not a deep freeze. So I want you to reprogram your mind and think about your freezer as short term storage, not long term storage. So anything you put in there, I want you to aim to use within three months maximum. If you have a deep, you know, freeze like chest freezer kind of thing. You could store it longer, but number one, our freezers that are attached to our refrigerators are really not cold enough to store for a long time. And because of ice and ice cream and popsicles and ice packs and all these things, we open it far too much and it reduces the quality of everything stored in there. Plus, when you put things in there and think you're not going to use them for six to 12 months, they turn into mystery objects and you're never going to use them. The longer they're in there, the less likely you are to use it. Yeah, it's so so true. Just think, okay, I'm putting this in and three months. And then my other tip before we even get into like food in the freezer is label everything. I've been a professional chef. I've cooked for literally thousands and thousands of people. I've I've sold millions of dollars worth of food. And every time I'm like, I'm a professional. I'm going to know what this is, even when it's frozen. I don't. I pull it out and I'm like, what is this frozen mystery blob? It's brownish red. And it's the worst feeling. Then you defrost it and you're like, oh, surprise, it's garbanzo beans. And I thought it was turkey. (laughs) Um, So uh, definitely label. I like blue painter's tape. Just label what it is and the date you put it in there. And that you're immediately going to be setting yourself up, no matter what recipes you follow, for better results with your freezer. Um, But recipe wise, anything soft and squishy like fruit Basically, once it goes in the freezer, you're either going to want to puree it afterwards or cook it afterwards. So if you're making smoothies, you know, that's really awesome. It's a a great way to get breakfast and fruit and stuff into kids, Um, but also cooking fruit. So if you put berries in, you can pull them out and, you know, make them into like a really delicious cobbler or something like that. But the anything delicate like that that gets frozen will be soggy when it comes out. So it's still really good to eat, but you will have to doctor it. You know, you won't defrost berries and just eat them raw. They would be runny. Great. You said that we should eat ugly. So what does that mean? Yeah. So this is, you know, again, I have a list of, um, you know, low bar to entry uh, food waste tips. So it's just a really good practice. This is one of those things that like when you take action on this, you're not instantly saving the world. But if we could all collectively change, it would make a really huge dent. So to me, this is one of those like muscle flexing, feel good actions that is 
nudging very gently our opinions about food as a society in the right direction. One of the huge causes of waste is because grocery stores require these very tight cosmetic standards. So there's even this whole thing about bananas. Like if a banana is too curved or even too straight or too long or too short, it doesn't fit in the machinery used to get it at the grocery store. So it could be a perfectly delicious banana that used all of our resources to grow, but we can't sell it because we're mechanized for only a certain shape. And in every kind of piece of produce, um, there are similar standards and things like that. So if you go to a grocery store that's doing an ugly stand, like some of them have, here are the ugly potatoes or tomatoes. Typically, you'll see these at a lower cost because they couldn't sell them kind of as first run things. Um, And you're this is just, you know, it's an example of using your dollars to vote for change. And it's going to take a long time. This is a very like low um, effort step that you can take. But I still think it's really worthwhile and there's no downside to it. And if you go to a farmer's market and you see these kind of funky shapes and things like that, um, it's great to purchase those from the farmers as well, because they're still going to taste great. They're going to have all the same nutrients and, you know, you'll again, get a better price often, but it's the same exact piece of produce. And we're just demonstrating that these things still have value in our food system. It's fascinating. So how can we get our kids involved in the, in the kitchen and cooking sustainably? So kids, you know, cooking in kids is such a great place to start um, for household chores, for, you know, fitting into the world and figuring out how life works because they already do this every day, right? It's not like getting them started on laundry where they might not even notice you're doing it or it's getting done, but they realize you eat and they realize you cook. So immediately, as soon as they're sitting up and have some awareness, they're recognizing that food prep is happening. And why not, you know, ask them questions about it, bring them into it. You do not need to be a foodie or a food expert in any way to talk to your kids about food. It could be learning together. Oh, hey, look at this apple is more yellow than this one. Or this is a funny shaped green bean or, you know, even like peeling the green bean open and exploring the pods and stuff inside. It's just kind of getting them to ask questions. It's, you know, very loose science based, but it's getting them interested in their world. And then you can continue to have conversations about food, the food that you're cooking and what's happening with them. Eventually, I do believe from all the families that I've cooked for with all of their kids, this will eventually unlock interested eaters. So my own kid is a pretty picky eater. This is not instant, but you're still setting the foundation for conversations and curiosity about food even if they're still going through a young picky eating phase, it's not like that instant, but it's still worthwhile in their development and in the long run. So as an extension of that, if you're cooking something, you know, invite them in, help you stir a pot or watch something sizzle. Um, You know, depending on how old they are, they could be ready for different tasks. They could start cutting things. They could wash things. They could snap green beans. And I think sometimes parents get, bogged down thinking that their kids need to participate in the entire process from start to finish. But I find that exhausting and very messy. And I'm not always interested in doing the whole process together, but they can still pop in 
and do one minute or five minutes. And it just connects them to the food flow through your household. And it's still, you know, if you think about they do five minutes twice a week over the course of the year, they'll be exposed to so many different food prep um, steps. And that adds up and they'll remember that they'll remember being near you and participating in those things. Yeah, it's so important. And and now that we're all kind of back to a, a, a pretty normal way of life and people are having more get togethers and parties, oftentimes there's there's a lot of leftover food. And so what can we do with that food? Is it safe to, say, donate it to the, the local firehouse? This is an awesome question. And there's not a lot that you can do with it. A lot of places like soup kitchens and things like that would not be able to accept that food because it was cooked in your house and your house is not licensed by the food department. And even if it's upsetting to see that much waste, you know, they have a responsibility to keep people safe and they could not accept it. There is an app called Olio, O-L-I-O, and you can put food up and your neighbors could elect to come and pick it up from you. To be honest, I think it's an awesome idea, but I have not personally used it. So it can be really hard to find an outlet for leftover food from your own home. So number one, I would say tell your guests that, or you could even have extras ready, but tell them to bring Tupperware to your party, right? When I have everybody come over for Thanksgiving, I tell them, bring your Tupperware and you'll take leftovers home with you. Um, and you could do that at any party and, you know, be known for that. And then people will show up with their Tupperware. We do have like a little cultural thing where people think that's rude or something to expect to take food home, but you can put that right on your invitation or tell everyone up front or, you know, get your own stack of, of Tupperware and let them take it home as, as a party favor. And then you'd be more likely that everybody can eat it rather than just you. And then, you know, back to, again, my bottom line is always, if you had a party and you wasted a lot of food, don't beat yourself up about it. What can you do to prevent that next time? So next time you have a party and it's a potluck, say, make a spreadsheet. Or rather than saying, potluck, bring something, make a menu and specifically assign something. Julie, you're going to bring brownies. And then nobody else gets to bring brownies and maybe only one other person brings dessert. Um, Somebody brings a salad. Somebody brings veggies. Somebody brings pasta salad. So you're not having as much just a free for all overlap where you're more likely to waste these things. You're actually then intentionally coming together to create a complete meal that makes sense. And you can do your best to, you know, distribute portions that way. And then also tell them still to bring Tupperware. But basically, if, if you've wasted a lot and you're looking at it and it feels terrible, just, you know, you're fine. You can throw it away. You didn't just break the world. It's already, you know, <laughs> got its issues. But how can you be better next time? Yeah, that's a great way to look at things. And so for people who don't know, tell us about Ends and Stems and what can customers expect? So Ends and Stems is a meal planning web app. So a web app is basically a website that is interactive like an app would be. But you just go to endsandstems.com. And the first product that I had and I still sell is a monthly membership to recipes and meal plans written by me. So if you don't like figuring out what to cook or if you need a fun way to discover new recipes or help effortlessly reducing your food waste, 
Subscribers get three new recipes every week that I have specifically paired together. And I've also written my recipes to help you reduce waste. So throughout my recipes, it will tell you how to use the green parts of the green onions versus the white parts. And if, let's say, recipe one has half a head of cabbage, recipe three will use the other head of the other half of the head. So it just helps you start to learn to reduce food waste and it gives you menu ideas. And it will also generate a grocery list for you so that you don't have to sit down and figure out what to buy at the store. Wow, that sounds easy. Planning. Yeah. yeah, and it's great. People, and there's at this point, I've been doing it for a few years. There's there's over 2,000 recipes on the site. So you can also go in and search for recipes. And there's a feature that is the what's in my fridge recipe search. And this part is free, actually. So you can go to the website, type in two ingredients that you have and you want to use up in your fridge, and it will deliver you a recipe that uses both of those things. Wonderful. Well, Allison, it was so much fun to talk to you today. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? endsandstems.com or you can find me on Instagram at endsandstems and recently I've been having a lot of fun on TikTok and over there I'm called It's Chef Allison Great, well thank you so much for your time today Thanks for having me I hope you loved that interview with Allison as much as I did and be sure to check out her meal planning membership at endsandstems.com Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.